0: Episode 7 of the Time Podcast. D expeditions Planning. Logistics. Operations. It's going to be fun. Oh yeah. And we're going to give something away too. Keep it right here.
1: AmateurRadio15.com presents... Bowtime, Time, the other ham radio podcast, sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at MTCRadio.com. Now, here's your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN.
0: Welcome into episode number 7 of the Photon podcast. I am Kale, your host. My call is Kilo 4 Charlie, Delta November. Coming to you from the Upstate of South Carolina. Hey, got a uh, really exciting episode this time through. We're going to speak with Art Whiskey Alpha 7 November Bravo about all things de expeditions. Yeah, we're going back down that road, and I think you're going to learn a lot. Great call coming up. We also have, at the end of the program, of course I'm going to make you wait. (laughs) We're going to make the announcement of the winner of our HT giveaway as sponsored and given by our friends at Maine Trading Company, mtcradio.com. They are the show sponsor, and they're also the ones who are providing the walkie-talkie for the giveaway. So make sure you're checking them out if you need any gear. New or used, they've got it all. And you'll find them online at mtcradio.com. I think you'll be hard-pressed to find any better folks serving the amateur radio community. As I mentioned just a moment ago, we've got Art Whiskey Alpha 7, November Bravo. He's going to be on the phone with us. We tried to do Skype, and for whatever reason, it was horrible. And uh, the following morning, I had a conversation for the show on Skype, and it was marvelous. So you're going to have to bear with us as we get through the phone bridge here. But Art is a former TV meteorologist. He did a stint in the U.S. Army. He also worked for Uncle Sam in air traffic control and even retired from the FAA in upper management. He uh, retired and decided that wasn't enough to do, so he went back to school and now he works as a medical coder in the great state of Arizona. So Art, welcome into the Photon Podcast. Thanks for being here. My
2: pleasure cal. Nice
0: to be here well, I have to give a little credit to jeremy our our friend here on the podcast k s seven i j Z who actually introduced arthur and i and uh made made this uh made this communications happen. We tried Skype earlier and ran into some problems there, so we're going to bring us to you through the phone bridge and uh art is a uh a d expedition pro he has made uh, quite a few trips which he'll share with us in a few moments but uh Art, on an earlier episode of the podcast, we we had a gentleman on who had, um, he had gone on what we called a mini D expedition where he he found a uh, a location off the keys of Florida, and he determined that what he would probably need during the trip and he took it all with him, and set up and operated some there with a uh, solar and battery powered uh, setup for about four days. Uh, that's what we called a mini D expedition. But these trips that you've been on, you've. Been Part of planning and the operations of are, are quite a bit more involved than maybe a three, three or four day trip. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, a little bit about your end of the hobby, how you got into the hobby, and what brought you to the planning and operational phases of actual de expeditions?
2: Well, I've been a, an amateur radio operator just a little bit over 40 years. Got licensed in March of 1974, and Upgraded um, to Amateur Extra pretty quickly and experimented with all of the different phases of amateur radio. I think that uh, the listeners know there are so many different facets, whether it be uh, digital or satellite um, or uh, the the national traffic system or uh, whether you like county hunting or rag-chewing or Morse code, and there is a population that uh enjoys DXing. And through my the course of my life as an amateur radio operator, uh I ran into uh different people that uh introduced me to what DXing was and uh I enjoyed it and uh I really got serious about DXing around 1995 in that area and uh started collecting and looking and chasing and all of a sudden, it dawned upon me that uh, it would probably be fun to be the one being chased, and uh, <laughs> that's how I started to do the uh, the D expeditions.
0: Wow! So, uh, for for those of you uh, maybe coming in a moment later, so we're on the phone here with Art Blank from Arizona, and his call is Whiskey Alpha Seven November Bravo. Art spent some time as a, an on-air TV meteorologist. He he did a stint for Uncle Sam in the Army. Thank you for your service, there, Art. Uh, he retired actually from the Federal Aviation Association uh, after doing some air traffic controlling and upper management in that. And through this, I'm, I'm assuming through most of that, you were an amateur, and uh, you were building up your resume along with your experiences uh, with with going to getting to the point of the de expedition there in '95, '96. So where where was your first de expedition to Art? Tell us a little bit about the first trip.
2: Well, the, uh, the what I would consider to be, what you would consider to be a mini-de-expedition was my first de-expedition. And um, where it happened and how it happened was rather odd. I have a very, very nice wife. I've been married 17 years. She's very receptive to me being an amateur radio operator. And uh, we honeymooned in Hawaii. And uh, when we were getting married, I said to her, I would really like to take my equipment on the honeymoon, and she <laughs> agreed, so I uh, I brought my equipment to, uh, to KH6, and uh, I was getting a lot of calls, and I said, wow, this is a lot of fun, so that was really the first one, but a few years later, uh, I was involved in county hunting, and one of the other county hunters uh, by the call of Whiskey Victor 2 Bravo, Dwayne Trevor, lives in New York, very fine guy and a terrific operator. Um, he he announced that he was looking for um, operators or somebody to go with him to St. Paul Island, Charlie Yankee 9, which is um, located uh, north of um, Cape Breton Island um, in VE1 land in between Cape Breton Island where Halifax is, and uh, Newfoundland. And uh, at the time, I was living in New York, so um, I hooked up with Dwayne, and I said, yeah, I'd really like to go. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what we need. And and uh, we started from there, and we started the logistics planning, uh, how to get there, uh, what, what I was going to be responsible for, what he was going to be responsible for, what equipment we were going to take the goals that we were setting, how long we were going to be out there, what permissions we needed from the Canadian government, and uh that was the, really the first adventure and uh it's uh of all of the d expeditions that I've been on, um, I would say that that's the most memorable one because it was truly the most rustic one of all. Saint Paul Island is not inhabited. we had to bring everything with us um, it was the uh the week of fourth uh, of July. Um, But St. Paul Island is quite a bit north in latitude, so it was rather chilly at night. And uh, I learned an awful lot about operational propagation and uh, what the needs of the amateur community is uh, when it comes to uh, what they're expecting from you. Obviously, the goal of a de-expedition is to have fun and to provide a service to the amateur radio community. So. Um, It was quite a challenge going out to St. Paul. That was the first trip I made.
0: You were uh, baptized by fire, as they say here in the South, I'd imagine. Well, Um, to give
2: you an example of what I'm referring to, Uh, I did uh not know anything about the topography of St. Paul Island. At the time, uh, St. Paul had a lighthouse, but amateur radio operators were not allowed to go to that part of the island. So we had leased a lobster boat that was going out of Bay St. Lawrence and he was going to drop his lobster pots and then they would take us over to uh, to St. Paul, drop us off, and then come back and get us, um, you know, a week later or whatever. I don't remember the, the uh, amount of time we were out there because it was back in 1992 when we went, but um, I asked the boat captain uh, as we were loading the boat. Plus, we had an awful lot of equipment, and it was only Dwayne and myself and Dwayne's XYL, and uh, mm-hmm. she was not an amateur radio operator. So I asked the, uh, the boat captain, tell me a little bit about uh, the topography, because the plan was um, St. Paul Island was an old um, Coast Guard station for the Canadians abandoned, and they had buildings there. And I said, how do we get up onto the island and get to Governor's Mansion? So the boat captain was explaining to me, well, it's a rocky beach and it slopes upward and uh, it's about a half mile to get to uh, the top of the hill where the governor's mansion is. So you could put in your mind what that kind of sounds like. And we get out to the island and I was looking at the coast and he was correct that it was a rocky beach that extended about maybe 20 feet and then it just stopped and there was a 50-foot cliff that just went straight up. And I said to the boat captain, is that what you're talking about regarding a sloped incline? He said, yeah, you'll get up there, no problem. <laughs> so I had, um, we had uh, generators and um, many, many five-gallon cans of gasoline. I had decided not to make a 55-gallon drum because if that broke – That would take away a lot of our operating time so each one of those cans weighed a certain amount and all of our equipment the tents and everything else it literally took one day just to get from the beach up that cliff and when you got up to the top of the cliff the grass was as high as your shoulders so we had to make a decision on the fly it happened that um right on the edge of the cliff there was an old boathouse that uh provided shelter and I, I said to Dwayne Dwayne we're not going to governor's mansion it'll take us 3 days to get everything up there and it's just not worth it um we were going to operate with verticals I said let's uh let's set up in the boat in the boathouse and uh and operate from there if you want to you know we could go up and um check out the governor's mansion uh later on but uh this seems to be the best way to go and that's what we ended up doing
0: wow nothing like uh, a little bit of adventure there and i would imagine that of course you know you can't think of everything and, and being your first trip out uh you know a scythe or a sickle or something would have really helped to uh to to trim the grass there so you could yeah. walk and yeah That's and correct. but many
2: many you know things you don't think me, of many people <laughs> have asked me um the this exact question that you just asked me and they they said um if you if you had Uh, to bring anything else if you were capable of bringing anything else what would you bring and I said without a doubt a lawnmower.
0: (laughs) Yeah well you had gas you could have run it there with one of your five gallon cans of gas. Absolutely uh,
2: that uh, that uh, tall grass um, made things so difficult to get through it literally once we got up to the top it literally took us Eight nine hours just to move all of the equipment, maybe three hundred yards.
0: Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. So you, you, this was your first trip. Were you hooked? Did you know you got everything set up and you were there? You were you were making your first contacts. Did you know then that this was something that your future held for you regarding amateur radio?
2: Absolutely. Um, once you have everything set up and um, at the time when we went out to St. Paul Island, it was um, somewhere in the top 40 in all needed. Uh, there had not been an operation out on St. Paul Island in quite a number of years prior to us going out. So it had climbed up on the needed list and it was very, very needed on digital modes. And we um, we had digital with us. So there were a lot of very, very eager people to get us on digital. And um, as soon as those pileups started, um, I realized that this this was something that I really enjoyed and I was definitely going to do again. And to Dwayne's, uh, that was Dwayne's uh, first de-expedition. To his credit, he went back. He returned to St. Paul Island three or four more times. And uh, I worked him a couple of times. uh, And he, uh, after a while, the Canadians allowed Amateur Radio to go to... um, the uh, the lighthouse, which was a very very different kind of scenario. There's electricity there, and you don't have to climb cliffs, and it was much easier to get on land. And uh, I'm sure he enjoyed he enjoyed his trip uh, much better over there.
0: I can just imagine. And if you were you were hanging uh, wire antennas, it probably helped to go out on the side there and droop them uh, droop them down from the top. I'd imagine.
2: That's right. The, by, yeah. So uh, let me say that, that to the people that are out there that are listening, there are many, many different kinds of de-expeditions that go everywhere from that mini de-expedition de- that fella took down into the Keys and to go on a, a tremendous de-expedition that takes a month where where you end up in the Antarctic Ocean someplace. Um, <laughs> I just described to you a de-expedition that I would not recommend for a first-timer, Um, probably not the best way to go. Um, And on the other side of the coin, to go down to like the Florida Keys on a mini-de-expedition where you're not really going to have a lot of people call you, if you really want to go on a a very comfortable type of de-expedition where you're going to have a lot of people call you, um, the best recommendation that I could give is to pick a Caribbean island and go down to one of those Caribbean islands during contesting season. And uh, during the contest, if you're the only operator, uh, I've been to Montserrat, Victor, Papa, to Mike, many, many times. Usually you're the only operator there. And, of course, it counts for a multiplier no matter where you are. So you're going to have the whole world calling you. And that's a lot of fun. And it really is very easy to get there. Um, that you have a home set up for you already. <clears throat> Basically, all you have to do is hook, you know, uh, set up wires. You could ship your equipment in front of you. It's a very easy de expedition, and a lot of fun too. So that would be if if you're a first timer and you're looking for something like that. There's plenty of uh, amateur radio operators that rent um, what they call holiday villas and things like this, where you, where it's amateur radio friendly. You can go down, the radios are already set up, and all you have to do is plug and play.
0: Wow, wow, so it really it goes from one end of the spectrum, just like the hobby itself it goes from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other
2: correct that is correct
0: now you uh you spent some time on midway island when did you when did you make a trip to midway?
2: the midway island trip was um let me see it was in two thousand nine it was in the in the fall of two thousand nine very interesting uh trip. And um, let me give you a little background on this one. Um, Midway Island and many other islands are uh, run by uh, the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And um, they have uh, been very, very tight with allowing amateur radio uh, to visit their islands, largely because they're understaffed with uh, the the national sequester going on, and they just can't staff places to escort people and and such. So there's been a lot of denials. Um, Somebody from Fish and Wildlife made a decision and allowed uh, another entity, Desa Shale Island, KP5, to come on the air. And uh, the way they advertised it to the amateur radio world was they wanted, whoever wanted to go uh, as a group would send Fish and Wildlife a request and justification as to why they should be the group selected and fish and wildlife would pick who went um that did not happen on midway Uh, i guess fish and wildlife didn't like that so what they did was just one day they put out an announcement and they said we have 19 beds available on midway island if you want to go out to midway island between this date and this date and operate uh send us an email and if, if you're in the first 19 and you could get out to the island you're more than welcome. So, <clears throat> I um I I did send an email and uh I got a response almost immediately and they said to me that um unfortunately I was not in the first 19, but I was the first alternate. And uh would I be willing to remain on that alternate list? And I said yes, absolutely. Um the very next day they called me and said somebody has already dropped out. So, uh you're you're in. And here is um, a, um, I believe it was on uh, Yahoo, a Yahoo website where some of the other people that um, we've selected are are assembling so that they could start organizing. So I went onto that Yahoo website and I started uh, introducing myself and and, uh, learning who the rest of the team were. And I found out in very, very short order that I was going out to Midway Island with some of the most experienced de-expeditioners in the world. So it was a tremendous learning experience for me to see how these guys operated and how they put it all together. Um, the the uh, Everybody had a job, and um, everybody would report in in a Sunshine Committee type uh, deal. All of our equipment was uh, brought to Hawaii where Kimo Chun, KH7U, then loaded all of our equipment onto a barge that was sent out to Midway two months in front of us. And uh, we secured an airplane with fish and wildlife that held the entire team. And uh, we we all assembled in Hawaii, stayed in uh, a hotel for a couple of days because when we got out there, we found out that the airplane was broken and uh, had to sit in Hawaii a couple of days. Came very close to us having to cancel the entire trip, but they managed to get the plane going and and we we took the ride out and uh set up and and um I believe we made about eighty or ninety thousand q s o s It was really a terrific
0: trip wow eighty or ninety how many and there were there were there were nineteen of you
2: there were nineteen of us we were operating on midway island with three c w stations and three phone stations, so we had six stations going twenty four hours a day seven days a week Wow
0: and you were out there with the big guns. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that? You, you, you mentioned going out there with some of the most respected in that end of the hobby. What were some of your largest takeaways from that, something that you could share with someone who would like some definitive knowledge and how to approach these, these types of events?
2: Well, the biggest takeaway I got was was the ability now to network with a, a completely different class of the expeditioner. I was not in their classification. Um one of the, uh, the nicest people that I've met in my amateur radio journey, 9-Victor-1-Yankee nine, uh, nine Charlie James, who happens right now to be out on, uh, in Timor, um, he, he also produces a lot of videos of uh, the expeditions. And he's from Connecticut, but he lives in Singapore now. <clears throat> uh, I learned an awful lot from him. Uh, tremendous guy. Another tremendous guy was uh, Don uh, Greenbaum. N1DG, terrific um terrific logistical genius, was able to uh, orchestrate a lot of things. Um, Tom Burnson, ND2T, who is now the president of the Northern California DX Association, um, another terrific operator and a great guy. Uh, Bruce Butler, who's now a Silent Key, was a terrific mentor and uh, learned a lot from these people. It was really... I was completely <clears> – <throat> I thought that I knew something about the expeditioning until I met these guys.
0: It was a, It I, was an eye-opening experience.
2: I don't want <clears throat> to <don't> <clears throat> uh, disinclude people, uh, but I also want to mention the team leader, Tom Harrell, N4XP, was uh, uh, an outstanding leader. He knew exactly what to do. Um, there were times I got frustrated out there, and, and uh, he knew how to handle it. He knew how to handle situations, and I give him a lot of credit and uh he was a great guy to uh to follow around.
0: So y you, you dropped some names, some call signs there and uh, if folks are looking for, for someone to follow, if you will, regarding this this end of the hobby, uh yourself included, uh some of those would definitively be the guys to look at. Uh, can you give me the gentleman's call once again that does the videos and I will try to at least get a link on to our our, our show notes for that.
2: James is very well-known, 9-Victor-1-Yankee-Charlie, uh, very, very well-known.
0: Fabulous. Well, we well, will look for James and get the guys and, and gals listening to the program connected with him. Uh, tell me about operating for in that sort of 24-hour. It's like a, a field day on steroids away from home uh, set up, and you just plan months and months and months to, to make it all happen. Uh how is that for, for a twenty four hour operational period? How does that how does that work for someone?
2: Really, again, this depends on the type of de expedition that you're on. Um Midway Island is an established island. There are people on the island. There was like hundred and twenty five people when we got there. They have their own dining facility, so uh during mealtime everybody uh stopped operation and we all ate together. Um, and there was a schedule made, and uh, Don Greenbound uh, did the schedule. And there was a big, um, there was a, a big, um, a building that uh, was basically the social center of the island, where they had a big screen TV, and um, a bar. And uh, in, in the evening, uh, some of the guys would uh, assemble there, and we had a big grease board there. And um Don basically came and said to me, you know, what do you want? Where do you want to operate? And I told him I'm a CW guy. Uh, I I'd, I'd like to do CW. And he made sure that um that I did CW. Uh basically uh, we would work 4-hour shifts on and um then we would be off 8 hours. So you got uh, plenty of time to go and, uh, look around the aisle and look at the wildlife. And, uh, you had plenty of time to sit and operate. Um, believe it or not, it, it didn't really, after a, a period of time, it really didn't matter anymore whether it was two in the afternoon or three in the morning. It, it just, it just all falls into place.
0: Right. You know, it's your turn, time to go kind of a thing. That's right. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, we're going to take a break here, Art, and we'll come back in just a few minutes. Uh, here from our show sponsor. Guys we're going to continue in just a moment with Whiskey Alpha Seven, November Bravo. Art Blake from Tucson, Arizona. Be right back in just a moment here on the Po Time Podcast.
1: Visit mtcradio.com today. A great one-stop mom-and-pop shop for everything ham radio. Radios, antennas, power supplies, wire and cable, books and training materials, microphones, headsets, and accessories. Find popular brands like MFJ, Heil Sound, Jetstream, LDG, Alinco, Comet, Texas Bugcatcher, Radio Waves, and more. mtcradio.com, an authorized Kenwood and Icom dealer. mtcradio.com.
0: So we're going to get back to the call in just a second, and we still have the HT giveaway to announce, so don't go anywhere, guys. This is the Photon Podcast from AmateurRadio15.com. All right, guys, back on the Photon Podcast. It is Kale K4CDN, and uh, we're talking to Art Art Blink from Tucson, Arizona, Whiskey Alpha Seven November Bravo. Art is the D Expeditioner, and uh, he's talked to us about uh, his first trip and his trip to Midway. Art, let's talk about the uh, the, the Juan Fernandez D Expedition from uh, 2013 that you were a part of.
2: Sure, Juan Fernandez Island um, is it's really Part of the Juan Fernandez Archipelago, the name of the island is Robinson Crusoe Island. Uh, I think that for your listeners who have ever read the book Robinson Crusoe um, know the story, and this is the island that we went to. The the sailor who was marooned, Alexander Selkirk, uh, was marooned four years on this island. Um, What makes uh, or what made uh, this archipelago interesting to me as a DXer was uh, a few years back, Uh, Chile, which owns the Juan Fernandez Archipelago, uh, had a 7.2 earthquake, which created a very large tsunami. And uh, the tsunami uh, destroyed uh, almost all of Juan Fernandez's population. They have a very, very uh, marginal population of 800 people. And um, it just happens that this wall of water came in and wiped out just about everything. So um, there hasn't really been any Uh, serious amateur radio operation um, on that archipelago in a number of years. And again, uh, it started climbing on the needed list, and I believe it had made it all the way into the 30s. It was getting pretty serious and not a very difficult place to get to. So as an individual amateur radio operator, I started investigating uh, the possibility and the logistics of going there on my own. As I had mentioned earlier, there are some the de- expeditions that can be uh, accomplished on a very 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 limited budget um and uh, if you ship your equipment and you have some contacts uh it could be done rather easily uh because Juan Fernandez is inhabited um has hotels has places to to uh, to shop and things like this um in doing my research I said this is very feasible. So I I started to put together my own operation and I discovered that another group of amateur radio operators from Europe were making a plan to go. So um, I decided that to be fair, uh, I contacted the team leader of the European group, um, Italian operator Fabri, and uh, a really, really nice gentleman. And I I introduced myself, and I told him what I've done and and who I am, and I told him that I had intentions of going to Juan Fernandez. I had already ascertained uh, a license. Um, There was a reciprocal agreement with uh, the United States and Chile, but um, I did have to send some uh, minor paperwork, and I I, I had a license. So uh, I proposed that... um, uh, we combine our efforts and uh and join forces in a very short period of time that's how i was rowed aboard that team so the team was three italians gentlemen from poland gentlemen from spain gentlemen from germany and myself the only american and that's uh, so that's how uh, basically we got together
0: i i know that the uh the language of, of choice is, is the queen's english for amateur radio, but how did that go with so many folks from different nationalities? Uh do, well, do you speak other other languages or
2: one of the Italians did not speak very much English. So our conversation time was very limited. But um the rest of the uh the people um pretty much spoke English fairly well and it just happens that I could speak German. Um I was stationed in Germany while I was in the military and I learned German so I was able to converse in German um and I also can speak Spanish, so I was able to speak with the the fellow from Spain, although he spoke English very well as uh as as most of them did
0: very good, very good so uh you planted yourself on the trip and, and tell us about the trip
2: so <clears throat> here's the uh the situation uh uh the Italians told me that uh uh I need not bring any equipment they had everything because they had just accomplished the expedition the year before on Comoros uh D6 in uh in Africa and they were bringing basically all of the same equipment so they said it's it's not necessary if I wanted to bring my own uh paddles for CW or uh, headphones or what you know small things but I need need not bring any equipment so that was a tremendous relief for me so for <laughs> me to make this kind of a plan it was very simple <clears throat> um a trip on American Airlines uh, from Tucson over to Dallas, and then another um, a 777 down to Santiago, Chile, a 10-hour flight down there, and <clears throat> uh, got off the plane, uh, met the the, uh, the team. Uh, we stayed in a Holiday Inn overnight, and uh, we had leased two Cessna Cheyennes. Of um, course, the trip out to uh, the Archipelago is about a little over two and a half hours, right around that. And um, one of the aircraft um, held five of the team, and the other aircraft held the other three on the team and all of the equipment. Hmm. Juan Fernandez is an amazing little island. Um, The airport is located on the – the archipelago is shaped like a crescent moon. And the airport or the airstrip is on one end of the island, and town is on the opposite end of the island. There are very, very steep mountains uh, in between. Um, And the only way that you could get to town, other than taking a horse uh, on an 11-hour horseback ride, would be to climb down into the bay and take a boat. And um, when we got down to the bay, it was a very, very small, maybe a 25-foot-long boat with a a very small motor. (laughs) And... Mm -hmm. uh, the ru- the sea was very very rough and uh it was a very difficult hour and a half on that boat getting around to the other side of the island but fortunately nobody got sick
0: <laughs> yeah that wouldn't have been any fun for, for anyone on the trip I'd imagine
2: it would have been it would have been terrible but um when when we got to the hotel uh I found out that the hotel had um a zodiac and if you don't know what a zodiac is it's it's yeah. much it's very very nice uh, ride. Uh, it seats 20 people. It's got two very large engines on it. And I, I asked the uh, the hotel manager, what does it cost uh, to take the Zodiac back over to the, the airport? And she said, well, it's going to cost um, X. I don't want to say because I'd be a little bit embarrassed. And I just pulled out my roll of money and said, here you go. We're not going back in that little rowboat. So <laughs> we went back over to the airport in the Zodiac. But uh, it was it was a, a great job, and, and the team, see, this I'm the newcomer to this team also. All of these other guys had, had already been together on Comoros, so they knew exactly how to set up, where to set up, what to set up. They had spider beams, they had verticals, and within three hours, we were on the air. It was amazing how quickly they got things
0: going. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. And uh, you were the only American. So, uh, I was, and you went I was to the Italians only American. With- Uh, Tell us a little bit about, this is one of my curiosities, um, eating, and and I'm not a real big guy. I could stand to maybe lose 20 or 30 pounds, but, um, you know, I think about going off on these trips, it's it's like camping with your radios in some aspects, and others it's not. But uh, I'm assuming that's part of the logistics that goes along with planning for the trip.
2: Earlier, uh, I was mentioning to you um, the different levels of de-expeditioning. To mm-hmm. so go to a place like my 1st de-expedition, St. Paul Island, you have to take into account that there is no 7-Eleven, there's no uh, supermarket, there's nothing. You have to bring all your food and water, everything. So you have to plan out um, accordingly how, you know, how much the food is going to weigh, how much the, uh, the water is going to weigh, things like this. So that's why I'm saying for people that are... are kind of fledglings and and are trying to do this for the first time, it's probably a better idea to go to a place um, like one of the Caribbean islands or even a Juan Fernandez if you wanted to be a little bit more adventurous because um, the hotel that we stayed at closed to the public while we were there and three times a day they would feed us.
0: Wow. Like having your own little kingdom.
2: Pretty much. And
0: your your wife's at home and she can't Gripe at you because the grass needs to be cut. Yeah,
2: that's that's true.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> I have I have heard of um, uh, the the, net, the level of de expeditioning that I have not done um, costs quite a bit of money. There's a lot of money involved, and um, a lot of uh, de expedition planning is fundraising. And we mm. have a lot of great organizations just here in the United States, um, Northern California de um people. I mentioned to you uh, INDEX, uh, another terrific group. Uh, and they uh, they spend a lot of time donating a lot of money and raising a lot of money so that the amateur radio community can have de-expeditions because without organizations like that, there's absolutely no way that people would be able to accomplish a de-expedition. And I will give you a perfect example right now. Um, same group that uh, I went out to uh, Juan Fernandez with, uh, are going to go to Canton Island, Tango 3, uh, this November. And uh, when we were in the planning stages, we were looking at several other locations to possibly go to. One of them was uh, the South Sandwich Islands, which no one has been down there in quite a bit of time. Um, and and not really that difficult to get to, um, a lot of people go to South Georgia Island, VP8, and then hop over to uh, South Sandwich. But we, we were looking at Sandwich and South Georgia Island. South Georgia Island was the more likely place because it's closer into South America. And we were trying to lease um, a vessel to take us out there. Um, one of the most popular vessels um, is the Braveheart, which is based out of either Australia or New Zealand. I don't remember. Um, and we spoke to the, the captain of that uh, boat uh, he was not available uh, at that time of the year, but uh, we did speak with um, other leasing agencies, and and uh, there were leasing agencies that were going to reposition vessels that met our qualifications from uh, Greenland down into um, Punta Arena in um, Argentina or, if we wanted to, out of the Falkland Islands. And um, here's where the stick came in. The government... On South Georgia Island requires that when the boat brings you there, the boat has to remain, cannot leave and leave you stranded hmm. so that 's a problem because now you have to pay the boat just to sit in the harbor and pay the crew just to be there and most of these boats are quite expensive. Um, the average price that we were getting from boats ranged in between seven thousand and eight thousand dollars per day uh, wow. so. Think about if we were going to go down there and operate 14 days. We were planning on operating 14 days, and it takes three days from the Falklands to get over there and three days to get back. So now we're talking about 20 days times $7,000 a day. That's $140,000 before you even start thinking about other things. (laughs) And to raise that amount of money for a smaller group of middle-range experienced uh, DXers is not really feasible.
0: So, just in saying that, it prompted a question for me. Going back to before the break, before we were talking about some of the uh, the upper echelon uh, guys that you were introduced to with the uh, with the Midway trip, um, I'm going to just step out on a limb here, and if it's wrong, I'll just take it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume from what you've just said is that according to who's going on the trip you may have a better chance in raising funds because uh, almost a celebrity type, uh, and I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion, but but uh, name recognition, call recognition, uh, past the exhibition type things. Is there men or operators that you uh, have a better chance of funding with? Is that a, is that a correct or a good assumption? Mm,
2: uh, you know, no, uh, it, it's not a <laughs> correct assumption, and I'll tell you why. Um what is a good assumption is if you're talking about an extremely rare entity that mm-hmm. has not been put out in 10, 15 years, it's likely that caliber of de-expeditioner is going to be, It just they'll just happen to be on that de-expedition because that ah. caliber of operator knows how to network and coordinate that type of event. So somebody, uh, another fellow that went out with me to... Um, Uh, Midway, uh, Craig Thompson, K9CT, terrific guy and a terrific operator. Um, He just recently went out to uh, Fox Tango 5, which was an enormous undertaking, and uh, he went with a group of um, at least 15 guys. I don't remember how many went, but each one of those people. Um, were major league D de- expeditioners and, and on top of it, each one of them had to put $10,000 of their own money into the trip because they were oh. unable to raise all of the funding necessary.
0: Wow. Wow. I guess it's good that uh, you gentlemen worked for so many years to build your IRAs and 401Ks when That's it right. comes to some of the things. <laughs> no, no, another good excuse for a long, long, hard job. Wow, I, t- I, I, that was just that just kinda came to me I, I didn't know if I'd be right or wrong, but that, that what you said makes plenty of sense to me, uh, regarding them wanting to be there when it is activated. We have spoken uh, in the past here on the show to uh, a gentleman who spent some time on the mountain tops, uh activating the summits. And um I guess it would be almost like a, an inland type ex um expedition but um he said that once you know he he found out that was his niche he was he was there and it sounds like that's definitively yours as well. Art. Um for someone and we've we've touched on this four times regarding uh not making the road too hard for yourself for someone listening to this program who is maybe new to the hobby or new to the idea of a de expedition, where is the where's a place that they can go or can you direct them to a couple of places that they can go to begin to learn about the de-expedition and to try to find their self on one?
2: Well, in in this world now of the Internet, uh, it's not very difficult to just Google the word de-expedition. What is a de-expedition? And you, you could read many different people who have been on multiple expeditions explaining what they did, how they did it, um, what type of protocol they used and things like this. So I would say the very first person um, to go to would be the internet. Now, anybody that lives in, in a town that has a a DX club, and most, most do, here in Arizona, there's the Southern Arizona DX Association, and of course there's the big, big Central Arizona DX Association. Um, a great place to to go and visit um you know look online uh go to the a r r l website and uh and and find where your d x clubs are and pay a visit and say hello i'm interested in this and uh that would be another terrific resource to start
0: fantastic well um would you would you um would you try it all over again if you had never taken one do you, do you think that the interest would spurn you to move again?
2: I, I'm, I'm, the statement that I'm about to make is I plan on going on more D expeditions
0: <laughs> I just
2: started, I just started a new job, so I don't have any leave time right now, which is unfortunate, but um, uh, there's going to come a day where I finally pull a plug from working and retire, and I plan on going on more D expeditions There's many places, um, many, many places that you could go and, and have a very good time and, and have the world call you that would not, be a big strain on your wallet and uh that's how i'm going to spend my retirement
0: wonderful your second retirement
2: my that's correct my second retirement
0: your second re- my dad's just started his and it's uh he's always looking for something to do i told him he should have gotten an amateur radio years ago but you know i guess i would have been to it earlier too if that would have happened I oh, think thank I'm you very sorry. much Go go ahead go ahead
2: it's never too late to become an amateur radio operator. Uh, you could be 13 or you could be 85. It doesn't matter. This is a great hobby. There's so many different things that you could do, so many different people you can meet. You're never a stranger anywhere you go. Anybody that has an antenna sticking up in the air is immediately your friend. You, you become <laughs> part of a brotherhood. So um, don't be scared away.
0: Hey, before I go, and ask you, because I, I sometimes I remember and sometimes I fail to remember to ask this question uh we you you said that you were CW guy so i can't ask you your favorite operating mode i, I get that uh, through conversation but uh tell us a little bit about your station do you operate a lot from home or do you mainly just have your, your gear ready to go at the moment if
2: anyone wants to see um what my uh, antenna system looks like um i invite you to go on to qrz.com and uh type in my call sign and uh you could see um my antenna system uh, currently, um, I, I run off of um, a pretty modest station. I have an Icom uh, 756 uh, Pro uh, Pro mm-hmm. 3, and uh, I'm running an Alpha amplifier. Um, I do have uh, a, a 90-foot tower, and uh, on the tower, I have uh, um, basically three three beams. Uh, one of them is a six-meter beam. Uh, one of them is um, uh, an 11-element Yagi that covers um, 14 megs up to 28 megs. And then my recent addition is uh, I have a six-element opti-beam that uh, goes two elements on uh, 10 megs, two elements on 7 megs, and two elements on 3.5.
0: And I'm looking at that picture. That's that's quite impressive, my friend. Thanks. Yeah, I've been to Arizona once, and uh, it looks just like that. So if you guys are looking at the picture of, of Art's antennas, and you've never been to the great state of Arizona. That's exactly what it looks like. And yeah, coming from the deep wife and south.
2: I, my wife and I picked this spot specifically because, I, um, as you know, homeowners associations do not like mm-hmm. the big antenna setups. So we're out in the raw desert, and uh, uh, I get to uh, um, commune with uh, rattlesnakes and, and coyotes and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what it is out here.
0: Yeah, it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful land, and it's a dry heat.
2: It is a dry heat, the, yes.
0: <laughs> compared to the 76% humidity we had today in South Carolina at uh, about 93 degrees, it was unbearable. Arthur, thank you for your time. I know this is last minute, and uh, but wow, it's been fun. I have really enjoyed chatting with you. I've learned a lot, and it has given me a new respect uh, for a de-expeditioner, uh, especially knowing what it takes. And we've just got a little taste of that here on the episode. But knowing how hard you guys work to get out there so that we can call you on the air, and uh, I think that's a very commendable um, operation that you guys do and, and a, a fine service that you provide for the amateur community. So, uh, Art, thanks again. Thanks so much. And we uh, we hope to catch you on the air and maybe catch up with you again here on the Time podcast. Uh, uh, if and when you, you take another trip, we'd love to hear about it. Thank
2: you, Cal. It's my pleasure.
0: What a great call from Art. Whiskey Alpha 7, November Bravo. Man, I have learned a great deal of stuff, and I hope you have as well. I imagine that some of you are probably deciding, I think, I'm going to take myself at the expedition. And uh, we're probably going to have Art back in with us when we talk about the art of breaking pileups, being a part of a pileup, or maybe being the one piled upon. So uh, be listening for that in a future upcoming episode. Thank you, Art, for being here with us again. We appreciate your time. And the listener as well. We thank you for being a part of the Time podcast. Now, without further ado, how about a little drum roll, and we'll get right back to the close with the winner of the HT giveaway, sponsored and provided by our friends at Maine Trading Company, mtcradio.com. According to the internet randomizer thing here. Winner is Chuck. Chuck from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Congratulations. You are the winner of a brand new Oceane 5 Delta walkie-talkie provided by our friends at MTC Radio. A big shout-out and thank you to everyone who registered. Promise not to fill your inbox full of spam, but we'll probably do this again pretty soon. Congrat- congratulations again, Chuck. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania is the winner, and we're going to check out of here. 73.
1: Thanks for downloading, listening, and subscribing to AmateurRadio15.com presents FOTIME, the other ham radio podcast. You can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com. That's AmateurRadio15.com. Follow us on Twitter at FOTIME Podcast. And remember to visit our show sponsor, Main Trading Company, at MTCradio.com. Till next time. 73s.